organize a little bit is to disperse spoken uh, is a true hearing. Listening is not uh, what's, uh, you're not just listening to what is spoken to you. What is not spoken to you when you hear it, then you have ears to hear. Uh, and what is visible uh, is easy to see. Uh, what is not visible, uh, that is true seeing. Uh, in the same way, the gospel, uh, we, this question was hidden. Who are you? Uh, this question was hidden. Uh, behind all the miracles and healing, exorcisms, and what Jesus said about uh, Sabbath, what Jesus said, uh, said about uh, the, uh, the uh, forgiveness of sins, all this thing behind all this, what is not uh, uh, said is, who are you? But finally, in chapter 8, uh, that question is raised by Jesus himself. Who do you think uh, that I am? Uh, so that question uh, come, uh, came up. So uh, we are going to study together. I mean, uh, actually through your understanding of the scripture, uh, your faith and your understanding has to be formulated. Not just by what other people said, but from the scripture, because that is the most authentic proof that you have. Uh, authentic document that you have. So your faith, don't let other people influence you. You look at the scripture and you understand uh, what is important. Uh, because Mark discovered this wonderful truth uh, about Christ. That's why he wrote this. And then as you probably noticed that it was all intentionally written. He, he didn't just accidentally write things. Uh, with intention, with in certain intention, he was writing from beginning uh, to the end. And we are going to discover the intention of Mark. That's what uh, we are trying to do. Uh, it's not the complete picture, because there are four, uh, three other Gospels. It's not complete picture, but at least we want to get into the in, intention uh, of Mark, what he discovered. He was so excited about discovering th this truth about Jesus. So he wrote uh, this for the future generation. So I want, we want to share that excitement uh, with uh, Mark. So uh, the ultimate Mark is divided into two very uh, sharply, 1 to 8 and 8 to 16. And then you read, uh, you went home and read 1 to 8 again. So did you notice that? That question was uh, there. Uh, it wasn't spoken uh, all the times, but they were all amazed. And then there was this question continuously. And then next part is answering that question. I mean, it's uh, unfortunate that a lot of people came first uh, uh, lecture and then they missed the second lecture when that is really the message. The first lecture is a real preparation for the uh, real uh, lecture. But uh, anyway, uh, well, 
That's life. What can you do? We're recording it. Huh? Okay, okay, good. So uh, let's look at uh, uh, verse 27 to 29 again. That's a climax of that question. So the uh, the first uh, A chapter it go, goes up and up and then they get to Jesus asking this question. Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way he asked, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they answered him, John the Baptist, and others Elijah, and still others one of the prophets. So there was a lot of confusion about this man. So they, they, they all asked this question, who is this Jesus? And then they all came up with their own answer. Oh, he's Elijah. Oh, he's uh, John the Baptist. Or he's one of the prophets. And they had all their opinions. And Jesus is asking them, then, to the disciples, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And then Peter uh, said, you are the Messiah. So that is uh, Peter's answer. And his answer was right. So at, at the peak, Peter hit the nail. Uh, uh, really, uh, uh, to the core of who Jesus was. You are the Messiah. You are the Christ that they were waiting for. For I wonder whether he really knew the meaning of what he was saying. As I, as I told you, uh, Mark went along with Peter all, all the time. And he got all the stories from Peter. And then he recorded, so it is almost like Peter's memoir. This one, Mark wasn't there. So probably Peter told uh, Mark. Mark was much younger, so, so it's like a, a Peter was like his father. Uh, he said, so my son, he was saying in uh, uh, one of his letters. And when Peter told uh, this, uh, this story to Mark, probably, it's my own imagination, probably he said this, Mark, I said, you are the Christ, you are the Messiah. I was right, what I said. But my son, I didn't know what it meant. I didn't understand what I said. I don't know how I said it, but that just word came to me. So I just said it. You are the Messiah, Christ. But I had no idea of what it meant. Probably Peter said that to Mark. Having the right answer and understanding it are two different things. You can, when, you, when you've been to church for at least 10 years, you know what is right answer. Most of you know, when I ask you a question, you know how to answer right answer. But does that mean that you understand what it means? It is one thing to Say the right answer, another thing 
to understand. Often we don't understand its meaning. We all the times hear salvation, justification, righteousness, born again, forgiveness, all kinds of things we hear all the time. And we know how to answer when people ask what we are supposed to do. But do I really understand its meaning? So, we know in our brain, but we don't really know it. And these days, I realize that, wow, knowing is very difficult. Knowing is a strange thing. A lot of times we think we know, <clears throat> instead of really knowing. So, Mark knew uh, this about Peter. And then he put a story right before uh, what Peter said. And then it, this story is like, almost like a metaphor of what's going on right now. And nobody knew Jesus. Nobody knew. His family did not know, religious leaders did not know, even the disciples who followed Jesus did not know. They heard so much, they heard so much of it, but they didn't know exactly. So let me read that story for you. Uh, it's like a metaphor. They came to Bethsaida. Some people brought a blind man to him and begged him to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had put saliva on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked, can you see anything? And the man looked up and said, I can see people. But they looked like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again and he looked intently, and his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Two steps. Jesus usually heals people at once. This is the first time he healed uh, the man in two steps. It's almost like a metaphor. It's like Peter. You see it, but you don't really see it. I mean, this blind man saw people, oh, they are people, but he could not tell whether he was a man or a woman or tall. I mean, he could not really tell, uh, make, uh, make out his face or anything, just like trees walking in the beginning. And then when Jesus uh, touched him again, then he was able to see clearly. Maybe uh, Peter was like that. He kind of heard and then knew, but he didn't really see it. A lot of times we know the words, but knowing the words doesn't mean that you know, you experienced it. You can know the words, the salvation, but you never experienced salvation. 
you know the word spirit, but you don't really know the spirit. So knowing is a very interesting thing. Uh, nominal knowledge. Nominal meaning just name. Nominal knowledge is a really true knowledge. And I realized that there are degrees of knowing. A lot of people, when they go through a spiritual journey, they tell me, I really didn't know. But they knew even then. They're saying the same thing, but I didn't really know. And they say the same thing. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? They say the same thing, but they, say, uh, they used to say the same thing. But now they're saying the same thing, but from different kind of uh, place. Do you understand what I'm saying? Even the scripture, oh, it was always there, but how come I didn't see it? I didn't know it. I read it, I knew it, but I didn't know it. That is kind of uh, feeling. Because our prejudice is so strong. Once our mind is made up, we don't see beyond that. So, Jesus didn't really see. And even when Peter said he's the Messiah, they didn't know what it meant. They had this prejudiced concept of Messiah. It's so powerfully and strongly ingrained in them. You cannot see anything else. Uh, beyond that. So, I want you to uh, discuss together. There are, there are different degrees of knowing. How can we have a deeper understanding? What is our, what should be our attitude, spiritual attitude uh, towards having a deeper understanding? What, what are some uh, things that block that? in your life, in your attitude. And then how can we go, or have, how, can, how can we have a deeper understanding? I want you to uh, discuss that and what's going on in your own journey of understanding uh, Jesus Christ. Okay? So, you realize, my goodness, whole, my whole life I was blind. See, when you are on deathbed, what you're thinking will be very, very different. What you understand will be very, very different. And what you want with life is, will be very, very different. Yeah. So understanding, it's not just brain activity. Mysterious. How understanding happens is mysterious. Why Paul changed that like that? It's a mysterious. So, how can that happen in our lives so that you have better understanding about life, about yourself, about God? Can we ever understand God? Can we ever understand ourselves? Can we ever understand life?
Any insight that you, you have? Brings about change. And then we are resisting this change. That's why it affects our understanding. We want to understand only at the superficial level so that we can change only at the super, superficial level. We don't want to go deep into ourselves because we don't want to change. So that's why we are not seeking for understanding of our deeper self. And then we are continuously at the superficial level so that nothing changes. That understanding may not change us in a way. So that, that's a very good point that you pointed out. Anything else? Sees and scribes, that's what they were scared of. They didn't really understand the implication of accepting Jesus. Because what it will be the implication of that? Uh, that was very difficult, thing, scary to uh, accept that. What's going to happen to my status? What's going to happen to me? What's going to happen to this country? Everything. So it's better to bury him than making him alive and then affecting us, right? Anything else? Are you done? So, yes, so that can live in, yes, for now. <laughs> oh, that, that, that's a very good point that experience is a very important part of understanding. Uh, because when, you, when, when there's experience, there has to be uh, understanding that process <clears throat> your experience so that you can learn from that experience. But as you said, sometimes in experience, even though we experience it, we are too strong or too scared. We're just narrow tunnel kind of road that we create. And then we try to put everything in that small tunnel. And then understanding stops. For example, about God. Let's say you had a terrible experience about life in your life. And you just create that tunnel. And then beyond that, you don't want to hear about God. You don't want to hear about anything. You just continuously live in that tunnel. So experience is good, but at the same time, experience, we have to have right understanding that can process experience in a healthy way. If you are unhealthy, then you are creating that tunnel. And then you become a, a victim living in that small uh, world. Very good point, yeah. Anything else? Just simply to add to this was we also talked about age. <clears throat> that through age we think we're getting smarter and more wiser <clears throat> and we know more through experience and things like that, yet we become more narrow focused. That's right, yeah. Right? So yeah. Yeah. dangerous to that. Yeah, it's very dangerous. It's not healthy. Uh, you become uh, you, you live in your own world. Yeah, you create your own small world, and you uh, you live in there. You can never get out of it. Yeah, 
I mean, this, this question just, we try to understand. Yeah, when it comes to the older people, right? <laughs> because, uh, like I was, I was explaining to Jonathan, when you're a student, your mind has to be open to new ideas, right? Yeah. You take different courses and you learn because uh, you don't know enough about it. So your, your mind is more open. And uh, so during that, you know, early years, right? You know, like, like teenager years to 20 to 25, that's when you learn a lot of things. And after that, your learning curve kind of stops. If you think about people who are like, let's say 80 years old, when did they go to school? 60 years ago, right? And there, I mean, a lot of things happened in that time, but they don't have, they don't have that knowledge and then their thought is still stuck in that the time period. And a lot of different concepts and new things that came about, they, they just don't have capacity to understand. So, so I was gonna say before uh, we concluded, Jonathan, older people are not necessarily smarter. <laughs> you have to know. Or wiser. Yeah, or wiser, right? Yeah. And you have to understand that. After you reach certain age, right, you have to be able to distinguish, right, just because person is older and demand respect or, or you know, saying they're right, you're going to be able to judge. Right? But in, in Korean society or society, right, that's what you're told. The older people, they already know, right, you got to respect your elders and so on, you got to follow certain, yes, there's certain logic to that. But not everybody is. I mean, as you get older, your muscles become weak. In the same way, your mental muscle yeah. become weak too. You have to recognize your mental muscles become very weak. <laughs> Mentally, you're you're fragile, so you cannot handle too much stress uh, as you get older. That's why you, you have a cranky old man. Because <laughs> they can't handle it. Right? You don't want to be that. Right? Yeah. Why such deep laughter over there? <laughs> I mean, you have to be gracious uh, as you get older. But if you become cranky more and more, uh, it's hard to live with them. <laughs> Okay, they're a good tag team over there. <laughs> Anything more? Grace, you have some? <laughs> You're always wise. <laughs> Anything else? I'm just giving you a chance. Go ahead. Anybody? No, we just discussed that you know, we have to understand the fact that we are all biased and we have all our own perspective. And even siblings, the perspective can be very, very different. So, you know, our starting point is understanding that. Like, you know, in, a, in my office, sometimes people say I'm colorblinded, but that's sort of yes. So you can never be colorblinded. You have to start with the assumption that you are biased mm. and then how to overcome it. So, but if you ignore that part, then it's very difficult to truly understand mm. others. Mm. 
Yeah, that, that's a, a very good one. Colorblind, you know, how can you be colorblind, right? Uh, and also, uh, so some people say, oh, uh, we have to uh, sing in harmony, but I don't even know my tune, <laughs> my, uh, my pitch. Then how can you sing in harmony? So you have to know who you are. And then including your own weaknesses and shortcomings and your own biases. Uh, and what you know and what you don't know. You have to clearly know what you know and what you don't know. Uh, and then, uh, then you can uh, start from there uh, when, when you don't even know uh, what you don't know. Uh, then that's, uh, that becomes a, a problem. That's an interesting point that it was made. We have a speaker, it's Black History Month, so we have a lot of um, presentations for equity, diversity, and inclusion at my work. And this one speaker who was um, speaking to us last week, he said, you know, when people say to me, I'm colorblind, he said, that doesn't even make sense. And he said, and I don't want them not to see my color. My color is part of who I am, and it's part of my identity. And I think when people, I'm not saying it's intentional, but I think sometimes when you hear that line, it gives people an excuse not to scratch the surface and to think about what people's experience has actually been. Because if you're colorblind, you're walking, first of all, nobody is. I don't believe that for a second. But when you're walking around and you're seeing a mass of people and you don't see their color, I don't even know what that means. Like, because we're all unique. And I mean, even if we're all Caucasian, we're all unique. But I think, you know, color is real. Uh, diversity of experience is real. Um, to not see color means that you're not going to realize, accept, acknowledge that the experience has been very different in many ways but in some ways because of the color or because of the ethnicity or um, that so I, that example that uh, Edward just brought up I think is another um, another way that people escape the work of doing what has to be done and being part of the work that yeah. has to be done well, I think that's very uh, important. At Knox College, uh, we had a the discussion about this uh, uh, well, diversity and, and racism and all that. And uh, this white man uh, stood up and, I mean, he had a good intention and he's a very, very also uh, knowledgeable and uh, he said, you know, uh, you know, we have to sing in uh, harmony, but I don't even know my tune. So I asked him, if you don't know how your own tune, how can we sing together in harmony? Uh, I asked him, that's why I uh, said that. And then he was, uh, he didn't know what to say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we have to know our own voice. Uh, and then that voice is not an absolute voice. It's not a complete voice. Uh, without the voices, we make it complete. Like, Jesus' biggest problem was they didn't know what to do with him. They could not put him in a category they are comfortable with. Jesus was too big to do that. 
uh, you know, big people are like that. You just cannot put that person in a box, in a category. When you put in category, then it's more comfortable to relate. But when you cannot put somebody in a category, that's very difficult. Uh, so in Korea, age is very important. So you have to first understand, are you older than me or younger than me? Then I can relate. You put, have to put it in the category. So like that, Jesus, he did all the miracles, performed all these wonderful things, but at the same time, he broke the law. He didn't consider Sabbath as important. Uh, he said blasphemous saying like, I forgive your sins. And, but at the same time, he exercised demons and he healed uh, that he, he taught something with authority. So they could not put him. So first eight chapters, it shows the power of Jesus and authority of Jesus. But at the same time, it shows Jesus broke a lot of their expectations. So how do they resolve this conflict? How did they deal with it? Easiest way to deal with it is to demonize him. So they demonized him. Oh, his power and authority, it came from demons, devil. Sometimes we do that. We demonize each other. When you cannot understand, it's easiest to uh, demonize them who are different from us. And that's what they did. And this is what Jesus said. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his property without first tying up the strong man. Then indeed the house can be plundered. Truly I tell you, people will be forgiven for their sins and whatever blasphemies they utter, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit can never have forgiveness, but, it, but is guilt, guilty of an eternal sin. For they have said he has an unclean spirit. Nobody really understood Jesus not only religious leaders, his family, and even disciples. Mark wanted to tell the people that Jesus was the Messiah and Son of God, but they had a, such a strong image about the Son of God. Uh, Son of God is like an emperor. Emperors call themselves Son of God. So every city that they uh, uh, control, there was emperor worship, and there were temples. And then emperors were uh, saying that, I'm the son of God. So as soon as they hear the word son of God, 
they were, think, they were thinking of emperors. But this Jesus who died on the cross, it just didn't make sense. To say that Jesus is the Messiah really didn't make sense. And to them, uh, Mark is telling them Jesus was Son of God. This whole book, Mark, there are two bookends. One side of the bookend is baptism. The other side is the cross. In these two bookends, there are Mark situations uh, itself. So let's look at baptism again. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as he was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the Spirit descending like a dove on him. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, the Beloved. With you I am well pleased. He said, The heavens torn apart. The word torn apart is schizo. English word is schism or schizophrenia. It all came from this word. Schizo. And then there was heaven was a schizo, and then there was a, de a declaration from, from heaven that he was son of God. Let's look at the cross. Then Jesus gave a loud cry and breathed his last, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Now when the centurion who stood Facing him, saw that in this way he breathed his last. He said, truly this man was God's son. So that curtain that divided the holy and holy of holies was torn apart. That word, same word, schizo, was used. Same as baptism, schizo was used. And then there was a voice, not from heaven, but from the bottom, from the earth. And not from the promise, the Israelite, from Gentile, that truly he was son of God. Baptism and the cross are connected. And Jesus connected baptism with the cross. He was the first one who said the baptism is the cross. Let me read it for you. But Jesus said to them, you do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They replied, we are able. So John and uh, James. Jesus, when he said, can you be baptized with the baptism that I'm, I'm going to be baptized with? That baptism is the cross. Death on the cross. In what way do you think the baptism and the cross are connected? I want you to discuss that. Baptism and cross, 
Jesus connects those two. In what way is baptism and the cross connected? Receive the baptism in spite of that. And the cross is instrument that punishes the sinners. And Jesus did not have to take up the cross because he's not sinful, but he took it. Baptism and the cross, he both did for our sake. Uh, not for his sake, for our sake. And then, now what heaven knows, the earth knows. Uh, and the only way to know what heaven knows is through the cross that we can really know uh, what heaven knows. Uh, and Jesus uh, showed that. And that shows who Jesus is. Jesus took the baptism and Jesus took the cross for our sake, not for anybody's sake, uh, not for himself. That's why in Mark, the key passage, if you choose one passage out of Mark, the key passage is this. For the Son of Man came not to be served but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. That's his understanding of what true Son of Man and Son of God is like. Serving others. Not being served. Living like this is true freedom. But it is hard to know this. This is how to find true self. You find your true self not by serving yourself, but serving others. You become truly free when you serve others, not when you serve yourself. This is the way to salvation. But people don't want it. We don't want it. Why? Because we pursue power. We all pursue power. Because we pursue power, it is easier to be God than to love God. So people want to be God rather than love God. It is easier to control others than to serve in the world of pursuing power, Jesus came with a different message. He showed us alternative reality. That's what Jesus did. Alternative reality. Instead of showing that he had more power than them, he let down his power and took the cross. Greed always makes you angry and violent. That's why as long as we pursue power, 
there's always anger and violence. There's no freedom in greed. And this is well displayed in Jesus' parable. Let me read it for you. Then he began, began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard, put a fence around it, dug a pit for the wine press, and built a watchtower. Then he leased it to, the, to tenants and went to another country. When the season came, he sent a slave to the tenants to collect them, collect from them his share of the produce of the uh, vineyard. But they seized him and beat him and sent him away empty-handed. And again he sent another slave to them. This one they, they beat over the head and insulted. Then he sent another and then uh, one they killed. And so he was with many others. Some they beat and others they killed. He has still one other, a beloved son. Finally he sent him to them, saying, They will respect my son. But those tenants said to one another, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. So they seized him, killed him, and threw him out of the vineyard. What then will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to others. Have you not read this scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing. And it is amazing in our eyes. When they realized that he had told this parable against them, they wanted to arrest him. But they feared the crowd, so they left him and went away. This summarizes what they were doing. Pursuing power becomes greedy and comes violence, anger. This world is full of this because everybody is pursuing power. This violence continues. This anger continues. The world, the world becomes more and more angry and more and more violent as long as that, uh, we are pursuing that power. And Jesus is telling us, that's not how we are supposed to live. That's not, that's not what humanity is about. Humanity is, you serve each other. That's a way to survive. That's the way to live. But we continuously escalate this greed, power-hungry attitude. And Jesus came to give us the alternative reality, the disciples, you should live like this. And the alternative, alternative reality is this. One of the scribes came near and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that he answered them well, he asked him, Which commandment is the first of all? Jesus answered, The first is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. That's the alternative reality Jesus showed. And with this love, we serve one another. 
And that's how we can survive. And he called disciples, but disciples did not understand, did not do very well. So we're going to take five minutes break, and then we conclude uh, with the disciples' attitude. <laughs> one to eight, it's like a lion roaming around different places. Uh, you know, Mark is a nickname as Mark, a lion. So each gospel has a nickname, and then uh, Mark is lion, and then roaming around all different places. 40, 40 different scenes that you will see, and he went to Capernaum, Galilee, Gerasene, Decapolis, uh, Nazareth, Gennesaret, the higher and Sidon, Damanutha, Bethesda, Philippi, Caesarea. He went all over the place. In northern part, he, he went all over the place. In the first half of the go uh, gospel, and second half, one road. One road to Jerusalem. He, go, he went nowhere. He didn't perform miracles. He didn't heal anybody. He didn't exercise. He just one road. That's Jerusalem, and that is to the cross. When you look at chapter 11 to 16, it is one week it describes. So one-third of his gospel describes one week. That one week was in Jerusalem, passion narrative. When you look at it, Sunday, Mark 11, 1 to 11. Monday, Mark 11, 12 to 19. Tuesday, Mark 11, 12, 22, 13, 37. Wednesday and Thursday, Friday, and there's nothing on Saturday probably rest uh, Sabbath. And Sunday, Mark 16, 1 to 8. One week. Uh, he goes to Jerusalem. From then on, his eyes are set to Jerusalem. He doesn't look around. He doesn't help people. He just goes. My mission is Jerusalem. And then he said, predicted three times how he's going to die. This is what he said, first one. Then he began, began to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed. And after three days, rise again. And then after a while, second prediction. For he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, the Son of Man is to be betrayed into human hands, and they will kill him, and three days after being killed, he will rise again. And he walked again. Now in more detail, third prediction. He took the twelve aside again and began to tell them that what was happened to him, saying, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be handed over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death. Then they will hand him over to the Gentiles. They will mock him and spit upon him and flog him and kill him. And after these three days, he will rise again. Three times, he said, but each time, right after this prediction, Mark put disciples' reaction to that. The first one, when he, the first prediction, he said, uh, uh, this is Peter. He said all this quiet opening, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. He rebuked Jesus for saying that he will be delivered into the hands of 
you know, the leaders and then will be killed. He didn't like it. The second time when Jesus predicted, right after that, this is happening. Then they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, What were you arguing about on the way? But they were silent. For on the way, they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. They're pursuing power. When Jesus is talking about serving one another and going to the cross, they are talking about who is greater, who is uh, better than uh, each other. They're pursuing power. And the last prediction, Jesus said, and then this is what is happening. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came forward to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What is it you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. When the ten heard this, they began to be angry with James and John. So it's not just James and John. They happened to uh, ask him first. All ten wanted it. But they were angry because they didn't ask first. They were talking about sitting right hand and left hand. This is just contrast continuously. Three times. Intentionally, Mark put it that way. Jesus was very alone on that road. He, was, he must have been really lonely. No people with you, but you feel lonely sometimes because they don't understand you at all. And that was like that Jesus was walking in terrible uh, agony, and yet they didn't understand. They rather pursued power. Life of service was not what they wanted because they had a different Messiah in their minds. Depending on what Messiah you have, the discipleship changes. Jesus gave them the alternative reality and alternative lifestyle, but they didn't accept it. So there's Jesus' prediction and disciples' attitude, uh, the response, and then third time, there's Jesus' alternative reality, Jesus' message. Each time, let me read it for you. After the first, Jesus said, He called a crowd with his disciples and said to them, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. That's the message of Jesus Christ. And after the second, he sat down, called the twelve, and said to them, Whoever wants to be first must be last of all and servant of all. And third time, Jesus said, So Jesus called them and said to them, You know that among the Gentiles, those whom they recognize as their rulers, lorded over them, and their great ones are tyrants over them, but it is not so among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you must be slave of all. And then he speaks this key passage. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life 
as a ransom for many. That's a message that Mark wants to get across. Our Son of God is not to exercise the power. Our Son of God is to serve. And you are called to serve. You are not called to pursue power. You are called to serve. That's we Christians are. We just serve. That's our purpose. Nothing else. In whatever situation you are in, you are called to serve. Whatever you do, you do it with a serving attitude. That's how we follow Jesus. No matter how difficult it may be. It may require cross. It may require sacrifice. It may require patience. But you are called to serve in all your situations, all your life. That's all you need to do. Serve. That's the message. There's nothing else. That's what Mark wants to get across. When you live with this attitude, you'll be blessed ones. Your life will be blessed. No more conflicts. No more fights. No more, you know, agony. Your life will be good. When you serve others, what? How good that is. So that's a message of uh, Gospel Mark. Next week, we're going to study uh, Matthew. Oh, this Matthew is hard. <laughs> I mean, it's longer, and to summarize into two, oh, just, I'm just <laughs> going through so much. Uh, the whole week, Mark, at least clear, uh, you know, first part and second part, you can uh, do that, but Matthew is much, much more difficult to deal with it, but we'll see what God can also get, give to us. Okay, any question? Any comment? Easier said than done. <laughs> yeah. It is, it is very difficult, actually, because we are going against the grain, against our nature. Our nature is pursuing power in whatever way. If it is not money, if it is not uh, the, the power of the world, it is religion even. Uh, with religion, we uh, pursue power. How can we really, really just serve like a servant? They are the saints. They are the saints. Yeah. And that kind of spirituality, I like to see. Well, I have a question. Yeah. So how do you, um, so is service like, you kind of, the idea is to give your whole self and losing yourself? Like, you know what I mean? Like, it, you, you just lose everything. Mm. Yeah, sometimes, yeah, even your vulnerability. Mm. 
you become vulnerable. Yeah. And your whole self. And then God will help you find yourself. If you lose yourself, you'll find it. And I know your question exactly. Your, uh, that is it really losing my core of identity uh, sometimes. Uh, becoming like a doorman. Yes, sometimes we become like doormen. But how can we be a doormen without totally being degraded? Jesus became a doormen. He died on the cross. So it's a very, very difficult message to grasp. Very difficult question though. Very difficult. I question myself too many times when I enter into that kind of situation. How much is being, uh, uh, what's the word? Losing your dignity, you're degrading yourself. So I think underneath, you need confidence. Without confidence, this road is dangerous. Without confidence. So you need tremendous confidence in God to go this route. Otherwise, it's dangerous. Otherwise, it's dangerous. So we do it only with faith. That's why the doing itself is not what's important, but doing it with faith. That much faith has to be cultivated within you to be able to do that. That's what's important, not doing itself. Then you lose yourself in that way. So if you have enough faith, then you can handle that. Even being a doorman, you can handle that. So faith is very important part. Good question, good question. Anything else? We are reading uh, Desert Fathers and Mothers uh, with the staff uh, these days. And that's what Desert Mothers and Fathers did. They went to uh, the desert just to be humble servant, nothing else. Desert fathers. Desert mothers and desert fathers. They're um, in the like third, fourth century. Uh, they just 
renounced their everyday life and <laughs> went to the desert by themselves yeah, for years yeah. just to yeah and and through that they found themselves in the in the sense of uh, humble service and that's it yeah. it took their kids they didn't have i don't <laughs> no <laughs> so how can you be so the, 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 this is what i said how can you be there's a fathers and mothers in a secular city that's difficult yeah. more difficult sometimes. That attitude of servanthood, that's what Mark discovered. It's a treasure for him. This is a salvation. This is salvation. And he found salvation in Jesus' words. If you want to save yourself, you will lose it. If you lose yourself, you'll find it. That, that heart of servanthood. That's where he discovered the jewelry, the, the, the jewelry of salvation. And when you find that, then you find salvation. That is excitement uh, that Mark got. So generally we say, oh, salvation, oh, you need to be saved. Generally we say it. We say it in name, but we don't understand what it means. But Mark understood that in that servanthood, there is a salvation. You find yourself rather than losing yourself. Now all these disciples, three times they failed pursuing power, but in the end, they all discover that. And then follow that journey. Any other comment? Our motto is love and serve. The police is protect. Serve and protect. We are love and serve. That's the message we get from Mark. serving 
others and serving you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.